some sweeping, I think, next door. Hey, there we are. The people are here. They're coming. I'm exiting host mode once again. That's the trick of the Twitch trade. When you end, when you start one of these, it says entering, exiting host mode. At least it does when I do it. I think that means we're no longer hosting someone else's channel. And uh, we're now doing our own. It feels kind of weird, though, because, I mean, I am entering host mode. Like, this is me being the host of my little backyard uh, tent revival. But it tells me that I'm exiting host mode, so it's very counterintuitive. So now I have entered the host mode. I have entered and exited the host mode simultaneously. Thank you. I did this myself. I cut my own hair. It was because of the last episode we did in the uh, office. I saw that it looked like I was getting some sort of horrifying mullet. And I had to take care of that. Can't have it. Can't have it, Henry. Can't have it. Yes. I just, I, I have a clipper and I just do it myself. It doesn't have to be perfect. Now, I grew up, I grew up, uh, at a time when the mullet was, was the archetypally terrible haircut. It was a symbol of, of, of epic fail. So I still have that instinctive response to it when I see it curving out in the back. Oh, God, no, i got to stop. Maybe it's a, you could argue that it's buried like classism, you know? Because it it's, of course, coded around uh, whiskey tango, white trash, as it were. You know, wife beater and a mullet, that kind of thing. Achy, breaky heart. Ronnie Dobbs in Mr. Show. So, uh, yeah, maybe I should just get a mullet in solidarity with the white working class. Although, does anybody really wear them anymore? I mean, now it's kind of ironic, right? Do people wear mullets anymore? Non-ironically? I don't even know. I haven't watched enough TikToks to know what's really going on in the heartland. Which is what it's good, which is what's good for TikTok. Just getting a, uh, put it, being able to dip a ladle into the American uh, primordial ooze and see what's cooking. So tomorrow is uh, going to be a hell of a day. I think I'm going to stream uh, on my birthday. Hey, birthday boy. Maybe I'll wear a little hat. And then me, and I think at least Brendan, we'll see if someone else shows up, are going to be in the in here for uh, our portion of the debate commentary. Uh, and I will be, uh, I'm not sure yet. We'll see what I'll do. I am very, very, very ready to be wildly disappointed to, to there to be nothing enjoyable uh, about this thing, uh, to find that we have reached a point where reality is at the worst possible point, where it is so drained of... Uh, of metaphor, we're, we're so we're so accelerated towards pure representation of reality, or purer anyway than we previously had in terms of our culture, uh, that the unexpected can't happen anymore. The the truly uh, uh, 
unhypernormalizable thing. The thing that can't be digested instantly into the stream is essentially impossible. And um, I would say that, and when say, you say, hey, what does that mean? You know, because I'm basically saying, well, yeah, Trump and Biden could have some epic, hilarious fails, but how does that change from any we've seen before? It's just we're getting more of the same. I think the dream, the secret dream of people when they imagined like a thing like a Biden-Trump debate in the abstract was something that breaks the wall, like one of them having their teeth fall out of their head entirely maybe and fall onto the, into the, their lap. Uh, one of them uh, actually shitting themselves, Jerry Nadler style. But we're not going to get that. Uh, and even if we get some amazing brain fart moments, another thing we're not going to get is like a Ron Paul moment, which would be, again, amazing. Or if they just made out, that would also work. Ron Paul's fine. I had the spicy McNuggets. They were okay. They were a little brittle. They didn't. They weren't quite as. Uh, Tender. I mean, that's a funny word to say for, you know, chicken slurry, but there's like a more kind of crispness beyond the point where it's like a separation between the coating and the, and the almost dehydrated seeming nugget. It was okay. It was fine. I think I would just stick with the regular nuggets, honestly. I did not use the mighty hot sauce. I used my, uh, my beloved Korean sauce. Honestly, I prefer like the Morningstar Heights chicken nugs, the, veg the veg vegetarian ones, to the, to the taco, to the, to the, um, to the spicy nugget, not to the original one. The original nugget has its own beauty to it. It's one of those perfect, uh, perfect products, like a flavor nugget, like a flavor puck designed to hit your, your mouth in such a way to cause everything to just shut down. I do hope that uh, I do hope that Biden tries. The the thing I'm hoping happens and think might happen is that Biden tries to get epic, tries to tries to obviously tee up a uh, John's conceived viral moment. But of course, he will probably botch it, which will be pretty funny.
It is amazing to hear that uh, Biden paid $3 million in taxes, especially considering that he's, he was always one of the less wealthy members of the Senate. It really does go to, the, to the, just the sick reality that he is selling out. He's, he's whored himself out. He's cored himself from within and turned himself into a, a fuck puppet of uh, the fire sector, but not even in exchange for extravagant riches like other people have. Uh, like Mitch McConnell, he's made like $100 million since joining the Senate. He's got stacks. Uh, he's like moving weight. Biden got a fucking Amtrak uh, a windbreaker. And, and he got jobs for his otherwise unemployable kid. Which, that's not nothing. But he just has such a low asking price. And he's paying all those taxes like a damn sucker. I mean, I guess it's because he's a politician and he doesn't know the ways... Of, uh, of the real estate game, where it's all smoke and mirrors and trickery. And a lot of people are going to think, like, Trump not paying taxes does make him smart, and he's using his smarts for my benefit, which is, of course, that's the stupid part. But all cons involve... Uh, exploiting the, the greed of the mark. And in this case, it's thinking, hey, Trump got rich by s screwing people over uh, and avoiding taxes and playing cutthroat. He's going to do it on my behalf now. And if you believe that, you're a fucking sucker. But it, the reasoning is still there. And most importantly, the reasoning doesn't have a lot of competing claims other than the Democrats saying, I'll hear you, I'll listen to you, I'll hold your hand while you are administered the euthanasia shot, which is all the Democrats offer. I mean, I think the real, uh, the real thing to point out is how he just has used being president to like, bail out his business, which is pretty funny. Just total corruption on behalf of himself while being president. And of course his base isn't going to care about that. And it is really weird to me how every time there's a big thing about Trump, people feel the need, they're compelled, their powers beyond even their own understanding, to say uh, his base won't care. Uh, yeah, they're, they're his base. That's, that's axiomatic. That's, you don't need to even say that. Obviously, they won't care. They're his base. Be, and, and maybe it's because they don't realize how, what that means now. Because you know the last Republican president who oversaw a huge economic disaster left office with like a 25% approval rating. And I think people believe that, well, implying that there was some sort of crack which in, within like the greater Republican base of like you know 42, 43% of the vote of the voters. And I don't think that's possible anymore because the collapse of legitimacy of institutions like the media is so complete now and it's been replaced by this, this choose-your-own-adventure game of social media means that to be a base is to, by definition, never believe anything bad about the person you're the base of because it's all the product of the media lying. That's, the, that's a prefab guarantee that they will nev nothing will ever reach them. And so it's weird when people just insist on reminding everyone that. Uh, and I think it's because they have some traumatized belief that base re re 
Like that means a governing majority of voters, or like a governing, I guess you'd say a governing minority of voters that would be able to like hold power. And I don't think that that's the case. Uh, the election is going to be decided as it always is in the margins. And those people are by definition not Trump's base. The question really is just how many of them that are still carrying the vote. And that'll be the difference between Trump winning again and Biden, of course, accepting things like electoral shenanigans and Bush v. Gore style uh, soft coups. Soft coups. Coups so soft that nobody even calls them that and nothing changes and the political system is not uh, rent asunder in some sort of apocalyptic confrontation. I've never visited Harper's Ferry. I think I would like to. I'd like to see the pump house. hope it's still there. But like I said, if it's, if it's, if it's Bush v. Gore 2, that's, that's not the suspension of democracy people are imagining it will be. Uh, you might say that now, but I, I guarantee you, if it, as it happens, as it winds its way through the courts, as outrageous as it's going to be, and as much as you would say that this is a coup in September, you would like lay this out as a nightmare abrogation of democracy, step by step, it is going to be stage managed by the two parties to maintain a veneer of legitimacy, which means we'll never reach that point where there is a popular consensus, if such a thing could even be mustered, around the idea that democratic, real democratic principles of, uh, and constitutional governance had been abrogated. The same way that it did with Bush versus Gore, which most people took to be the legitimate outcome of a, of a legitimate electoral process as laid out in the Constitution and interpreted by the judicial branch. And it would be a similar thing here. Now, and they, it would be more resistance than Bush versus Gore had, certainly. And there would be a lot of protests. But considering how many protests we've had this year, it'll get swallowed in that larger narrative. And we will just have another Trump term. And it will not be, it will not be the, the tearing of the veil of Maya that people are kind of fantasizing about. Funniest JFK, the funniest conspiracy theory, JFK was killed by a Secret Service agent tripping and his rifle going off. That's a funny conspiracy theory. It's also one of the more uh, forensically convincing theories of the case. Of course, that doesn't change any of the other questions. Like, there could have been a man on the grassy knoll and the bullet that killed Kennedy was fired accidentally by a Secret Service agent, you know? I've not read Red Mars. Not, I've heard a lot of good things about Kim Stanley Robinson, but I've not listened to it. I've never really been a huge sci-fi literature fan. I'm trying to think, I'm thinking about maybe changing that, but it's, it's, a, it's definitely a gap.
Shakespeare authorship? Shakespeare, what? Come on. Get out of here. Shakespeare wrote the plays. I prefer the, the argument about whether Shakespeare was secretly Catholic, uh, which I think might be the case, because it's hard to imagine Protestant England at that time creating a Shakespeare. I've heard that the theory that Beethoven is black comes from the fact that he was from the Netherlands or like Belgium uh, at a time when it was under Spanish dominion. So he was a Moor. I think that's it. Which I don't think is even accurate. That's not even true. Like the uh, Dutch had already gotten independence by the time he was, he was born. Ooh, this is a good one. Who's better, Verhoeven or Carpenter? Ooh, boy. That's a tough one. They're both, like, obviously very, uh, just perfect kind of stylists. Like, unobtrusive auteurs were able to shape, like, that content uh, expertly uh, without making a big show about it or even necessarily having, like, a trademark look, uh, which is hard to do. Like, like, uh, hmm. Escape from New York. Eh, I don't really like that one. Uh, Robert. Robert. Hmm. I think I might go Verhoeven. I think I go Verhoeven. But Carpenter is, is close. I gotta watch Dark Star. Thank you for reminding me. I need to watch Dark Star. I have not watched the Comey rule yet. We're gonna watch it, the whole thing for midweek for the Patreon episode. So tune in for that. Virgil watched it live and he had some uh, amazing posts. There's, they actually have a line of dialogue about, uh, about like General Flynn going to a, a, uh, an event and sitting next to June, uh, Jill Stein, like a Russian guy talking about that. It's pretty funny. It's, it's purely like a pure lib uh, delusional fantasy, which will be fun to see. The, and I'm, well, there's going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of paint huffing going on cause you've got, in the near future because Sorkin's coming out with a fucking movie about the Chicago 7 trial, which will, of course, be awesome make a lot of good points about the need for uh, being mature and, and realistic when dealing with political issues and not indulgent and childish like certain uh, over-enthusiastic uh, leftists, perhaps. Apparently, though, Sorkin was pitched this movie by Spielberg, and he had not heard of it. He had not heard of the case, which is amazing. Like He's, he's a fetishist for that whole era. And yet he didn't even know about it. 
that means that he's just approaching the material with no like previous conception. So that means it's going to be purely based on his reaction to the current moment. So it's going to be just a perfect old man yelling at cloud type deal. It's going to be great. Abby Hoffman is going to be the face of the Bernie Bros and poor, put upon, straight laced, effective Tom Hayden is going to be uh, Hillary or something. Oh, apparently they've been making this movie for 20 years? Holy shit. Yeah, Def, Jeff Daniels being like Sorkin's ideal version of himself is pretty funny. The guy from Dun and Dumber who pooped all over the, the toilet. That's, that's his uh, embodiment of his own, like best delusional version of himself. And the sad thing is Jeff Daniels is a good actor who I generally enjoy in his work. I'm usually pleased to see him in things. But having to watch him just spit out that Sorkin dialogue all the time, it's brutal. Joel or Mike? I'm always Joel because he's who I started with, so Mike seemed like an interloper. I can never judge them uh, honestly because it's the same way that like uh, Trace Billio is the voice of Crow. Like there have been like three voices of Crow, and and and, and, and like Kevin. I know Kevin Murphy was the second Tom Servo, but to me, he's the only Tom Servo, just because that's the configuration I I was introduced to. Uh, at the most formative period. So everything is going to be, uh, everything else is going to feel slightly off because there's a very early imprinting uh, show. This is very, I mean, I'm not alone in that, obviously. And that show is very, uh, very important to my, uh, I don't know, sensibility developing. It's getting dark out here. I might have to bring out the uh, Christmas tree lights again. That's an interesting question. Somebody says, why don't German-Americans have the same weird uh, fixation on their, their, uh, their heritage the way that Irish people do? 
I think a lot of it is where they settled. The Irish clung to the coast. Uh, I mean, obviously not only, but because they were, because uh, of when they showed up, they, uh, they ended up uh, uh, clogging up the Northeast and staying in, the, in these like ethnic uh, ghettos, basically, whereas the Germans kind of spread themselves more thinly across the Midwest, uh, where you know, there, was, there was German like cultural identity around things like beer halls and stuff, but uh, and, you know, German language media persisted for a long time, but uh, there was less of a sort of a self-reinforcing -re ethnic uh, identity uh, that, you d that you get in like an urban setting. I'm going to plug in the light here. It's getting dark. <sighs> do, do, do. Do, do, do. Also, there was World War I and World War II, which had their own effects on, uh, on German identity. Like, there was a genuine ginned-up... Uh, uh, ethnic hysteria against Germans during World War One. Not only did they change the name of sauerkraut to Liberty Cabbage, uh, but there were attacks, hate crimes, lynchings even of Germans uh, during that period. Which and a lot of places changed. A lot of German name places in the Midwest changed the, uh, uh, from to something else. There's a suburb of Milwaukee called New Berlin, and I'm almost positive that it used to be pronounced New Berlin. Uh, and that's, I think World War I, maybe, they decided to change the pronunciation. Uh, although if anyone knows that that's not true, I'd like to know it, if anyone has a, uh, more history on that. Because I always think it's interesting that it's always, everyone calls it New Berlin. Not, no, not a single person calls it New Berlin, even though that's obviously what it was. And then, of course, World War II doesn't help. You know, you do the Holocaust, it's a little harder to walk around in lederhosen. And there were a bunch of very self-aware German-Americans whose uh, contribution to the culture in the 40s wasn't, in the 30s and 40s, was not St. Patrick's Day parades. It was uh, booned rallies. So once again, not good. Also, you have the fact that there isn't a unified German, and part of that thing of them leaning to the coast is that there's more of a unified, like, Irish, uh, or at least self-perceived notion of an Irish immigrant experience. You know, coming into the city, not getting a job, no Irish need to apply, uh, going to fight World War, you know, like gangs in New York, going to fight the Civil War, and, and then becoming a cop, or a ward healer, uh, or, or uh, yeah, uh, the whole like passion play of, of the immigrant experience, which Italians have a similar version of, Jews also, all those all the East Coast culture makers. Whereas out in the hinterlands, the Germans are just kind of fucking around and coming from different uh, environments. You know, like there were ton the Germans make up like the biggest I think single ethnic group in the 19th century of immigration. But you know, at that point, for most of it, Germany wasn't even one country. And uh, there were different religious divisions and uh, linguistic and, uh, and cultural that meant that there was not that, you know, the thing of getting kicked off of, you know, 
the plantation because you, there were no more potatoes and having to get in a coffin ship and all that. The religious thing is big, you know. It's St. Patrick's Day after all. And like a lot of the Germans where I'm from, from the upper Midwest, specifically like the Triangle, or I mean the, the middle Midwest, I guess. I mean the upper tier, but like the lower half of the upper tier and the middle tier. From like Cincinnati to, uh, to Milwaukee to St. Louis. There's a lot of those are like German Catholics, but they're not... They weren't all, there's differences between Bavaria and, you know, the fucking uh, Prussian Palatine or whatever. But uh, that is one advantage, one thing of, that makes German-Americans uh, on a whole better than Irish is because they don't have that for the most part, at least not as much. And uh, it's really, really annoying. All these fake Irishmen running around. Oh man, Aaron Sorkin's John Brown. That would be amazing. I would see that. He just uses, he does a biblical breakdown with a southerner about why slavery is uh, not supported uh, in the, in the New Te Old Testament or whatever. And the guy just kills himself. He doesn't even, he chops himself up with a fucking broadsword because he got owned so bad. Yes, the Nuensis Massacre. Uh, German immigrants in Texas lynched for opposing secession. And it was German Americans uh, who mobilized uh, a militia to prevent Missouri from joining the Confederacy. And of course, you got guys like Willich and Joseph Wiedemeyer and Franz Siegel becoming members of the. Uh, of uh, the high levels of the Union Army. Oh man, Struggle Session's doing a whole thing on uh, Lovecraft Country. I stopped watching. They showed, they st the, the, there was an episode that I started watching and it was all, it was about people in Korea as like a flashback or something. And I just thought, oh, no. Where, what does this have to do with anything now? Like, is there even any kind of coherent approach to this? Is it, or is it just like whack-a-mole? Like, I, I, I don't even care about the characters you already have introduced me to. You're going to introduce me to new ones who are like in a totally different context? No thanks. I've not watched uh, Raised by Wolves. 
It's on that HBO Max shit, and I don't fucks with that. Also, really, Scott, no thank you. And I don't care how good his moods are. People say, oh, he's such a great self-director. He creates such great moods. I don't get that either. It's not, it's not just that he, like, narratively isn't terribly competent. It's that his whole vibe curation thing also leaves me cold. And I feel like some movies, like Gladiator, were just absolutely butchered. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't think there's a good action scene in Gladiator, which is just crazy when you consider the, mater- the material he had in that thing. I did like the, the Counselor, and I'm annoyed that really Scott made that movie. Although you know, it's just a, it's a Cormac McCarthy script, so it's going to rise or fall on that. And I think that movie is maligned, but I think it's it's got good stuff in it. It's very alienating and uh, depressing, uh, and uh, kind of like watching it, sort of like chewing on uh, tinfoil. But I think that's good. That's what it's supposed to be. I love. I just love the fact that that movie ends with. Uh, Cameron Diaz saying the line, uh, there is no one crueler than a coward, and the slaughter to come will probably be beyond our imagining. I haven't seen Black Hat yet. People said it was kind of bad. and I never really stumbled upon it anywhere. If I find it, I'll watch it. Never really... Uh, Digital Man, to me, is not, is not as good. I like Early Man more, I guess. So I never really had a, uh, a huge desire to see that one. I can't believe he's still making a movie about Enzo Ferrari. I thought for sure that that had ended up turning into Ford versus Ferrari through the development process, which happens a lot. Apparently that awful uh, Robin Hood movie that Ridley Scott made, speaking of him, with Russell Crowe, that originally started off as an alternative take on Robin Hood that was from the sheriff of Nottingham's point of view. <laughs> And over the time, it just turned into uh, it turned into Robin Hood Origins. Even though the last big Robin Hood movie, not the, uh, the, the, the like in America anyway, the Kevin Costner one was already a fucking origin story. It was It's like they're trying to they were trying to shake up the material, and they didn't even do it. Terrible. So I always assumed, oh yeah, they wanted to make this movie about Enzo Ferrari, and over time they said, you know, there aren't enough Americans in this. Could we bring in those Ford guys? Ooh, this Carol Shelby character, he seems pretty interesting. But apparently they're still making it. Oh 
Oh man, the Brewers are in the playoff. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be pretty, folks. It's it's a sh- it's a sham. This whole season is a sham, honestly. Like I said, I don't even know who would want to win this year. That's got to have an asterisk on it forever. Oh yeah, the year everyone was getting sick and they were playing in fucking empty stadiums with cardboard cutouts in the stands and fucking rolling uh, clouds of ash uh, moving uh, across the outfield. Just the full dystopian hell season. Who else wants to win that? I guess you'll always be uh, you'll always be the answer to a trivia question. Unless all the seasons are like that from now on. Because, hey, who can tell? Who knows? People, everyone loved the bubble, apparently. Everyone loved the NBA bubble. Does this season have the same thing? Because, like, all right, they were, they were pretty far along in the season when, they, when uh, COVID hit and they had to cancel it, right? So did they, how many games did they even lose? So it seems like that one is closer, whereas this baseball season where it's, like, this incredibly... Uh, this incredibly uh, truncated season where they weren't able even to manage to avoid people getting sick, which at least N- NBA has basically been able to do. I always knew the NFL would definitely still play. There was no way in hell that the NFL wasn't going to happen. That was never on the table. We could have like a, we could have a genuine COVID emergency right now, like the kind of thing people were worried about happening earlier in the year with shortage of ventilators and shit, and there would still be fucking football happening. Oh, hell yeah. I could imagine them, like, in a zombie apocalypse, playing NFL, playing NFL games on, like, aircraft carriers. Beamed to people in fucking uh, control area refugee camps. Did the Tampa Bay Lightning win the fucking Stanley Cup? God damn. Canada is such a joke of a country. Can't even have one thing. You can't even have one fucking thing. You can't dominate in your own... And I understand why, you know. It's because the money goes... It's, the money goes where the center of gravity is. And that sure shit is in Canada relative to the United States, but... Man, it's still hilarious. When was the last time a Canadian team won the fucking Stanley Cup? It's got to be 20 years. And then losing, and then having cities in fucking Florida 
and Arizona and shit. 1993? Are you fucking kidding me? I remember when the, like, the closest anyone's come is when the Canucks lost to the Bruins, in my recent memory. Lame. I really don't think there should be hockey if there's not snow. Honestly. It's dumb. Someone asked what ketamine feels like. I only have my own experience to go by, but it's basically the opposite of, uh, it's essentially the opposite of LSD. LSD makes you uh, hypersensitive to your surroundings, to all that is outside of you. It makes it incredibly uh, uh, riveting because it, like, it, it, it boosts your reuptake of, 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 of stimuli externally. Uh, ketamine basically does the opposite in that it makes you hyper-focused on your body. Uh, the way I can describe it is it feels like you're kind of made of glass or like fiberglass insulation or something. And that's why one of the ways you can get ego death and the way that John Lilly figured out he was going to talk to aliens by fucking dolphins is that if you do both, it essentially leaves you with nowhere for your brain to go. It's like we are always editing down to a manageable amount the stimuli that we have in our bodies and outside of it because otherwise we would overwhelm literally our sensory apparatus and uh, I think that's I think that's the reason It's not my stuff, really, but it can be, it can be interesting. Uh, it can also be therapeutic. I know they use it, for, uh, they use it uh, in depression cases as they do psychedelics. I don't know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Not sure. All right. I have about 20 minutes left here. It is for horses. It's hilarious. It's a literal horse tranquilizer. Human beings will do anything. I haven't read that much Philip K. Dick. I need to correct that. Like I said, sci-fi is, is a blind spot for me. I usually am just like, okay, I get the point. Yeah, what if everyone's a robot? Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah, they're, they're on Mars. Okay. I have read uh, Man in the High Castle. I read Ubik. I read the short stories, which were really poorly written, I thought. Like, very stilted. 
but had really cool ideas in them all. The, 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 the novels are better. I have, uh, I might have some of those chicken nuggets, those, those Morning Star Farms fake chicken nuggets. Uh, any debate predictions or drinking games? I mean, you've got to have a come on man in there. Because he gets very exasperated. And honestly, the best hope for real entertainment is if Biden gets mad. If he gets true elder rage, which I think would, um, could really lead to some interesting territory. Could lead him to start improv uh, which will be, of course, disastrous. I don't care what drug combo they got him on. And of course, they have him fucking flying. Of course he is fucking blitzed out of his goddamn gourd. There's no question. I do think, though, that there's a chance that Biden sews up the election with this thing. I, I, if he is out there and he is as, uh, as zooted as he was in the last debate with Bernie, I think the people who are paying attention, who aren't there just waving pennants for one side or the other, I think if they, if they get reassured that he is, he's not the, the caricature of a senile, doddering, uh, out-to-lunch old guy that he, uh, he appears to be, They'll vote for him because I do think people want, think, not just Democrats, I think there is, a, there is a yearning for things to be normal. And people might very well associate normality with Biden, even if it has no content and his campaign has no content. I mean, his lead is durable and it hasn't really shifted. And it's bigger than Hillary's was at this point. Uh, and... It makes me think that this whole thing might end in the most hilariously anticlimactic way possible, which is Biden winning with relative smoothness, which will just leave everybody pinioning their fucking feet after running off the cliff like Wile E. Coyote. And I think a good performance of the debate by him in terms of appearing cogent, getting off a few good zingers, will do it. Will, will be the final like sign-off. I mean, obviously, he has to do it for all three debates, but I think it could work. Consequently, he could do bad enough to fucking blow it. Like, I hate to big up something that is essentially a sterile spectacle, but I kind of think that the, the specifics of this race mean that... Because, like, obviously, the challenger should win this. That is not a question. Given the objective conditions, the challenger should win this race. But Biden poses specific... Uh, obstacles. Now, the Democratic Party offers its own set of obstacles, namely its inability and unwillingness to provide any reason to vote for them. That's bad. That's hard. That's like, that's one hand tied behind their back. But that might be enough. It should be enough even with that, because just 
okay, you're not, you might, you're not promising me anything, but you're not this guy. You're not the guy who fucked everything up, which is how non-base voters cease things usually. Because remember, it doesn't matter what his base thinks. They're the base. By definition, they're not going anywhere. Uh, and I think that they might sign up for door number two just because, hey, you know, maybe people will stop yelling so much because I really don't think they've succeeded in making Biden stand in for Antifa or BLM or anything. I mean, sure, Biden runs like hell away from the left at any opportunity, and I think that also just his presentation of self, this geriatric white guy just who's been around forever and was Obama's VP, it makes it very hard for that to stick. And so the problem is, is that he is still a guy who barely campaigned, a guy who, when he comes out in public, says embarrassing, senile-ass shit. Uh, and if he's not up to the task, then those people who are weighing options, they might decide, one, not to vote, or two, to be like, fuck it. You know, better the devil you know. And as a result, this might be a consequential debate for once. We know for a fact that the debates in 2016 were meaningless. Because whatever revisionist history you hear, at the time, it was widely considered, and not just by the liberal fake news media, that Hillary won those debates. Trump showed up. He was irascible, uh, 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 erratic, uh, went on insane tangents. She was mostly on message. Uh, and I feel like, like there are things pulled out from that later on that formed like a part of a narrative about why he won. Like when, he, when she says, you know, so she said something and he replied with you. It's like uh, something about, like if I, if, I was president, if I was president something and he goes, if I was president, you'd be in jail. And that was a good line. But I think more than anything, the debates just didn't change the dynamic one way or the other. Like we were on a glide path. The, the Clinton campaign, the candidacy, her person was such that they were in a terminal decline towards the mountain. They were ignoring all of the signals blaring on the fucking monitors and just going to plow into the fucking side of the mountain. And the, and the debates are just another signpost along that way. And the, and the media response to the debate saying how good she did was just another thing to help blind them towards the reality in front of their face. But I think that... Uh, oh, wrong also was very good. But wrong. Uh, and she had a couple of absolute cringe lines and, you know... She had no answer to his basic accusation of how come everything is bad? You've been in charge for 30 years. And that ended up being the only thing that mattered, but that wasn't the debate that made that. It was the 30 years, you know what I mean? Whereas this campaign, the way it's shaping up, I think that, that people are what, that Biden needs to close. I hate to sound like one of those schmucks, one of those, uh, one of those horse race assholes, but this is, I think, like the archetypal situation where you have a challenger in a position to win, but there is this fluctuating, there's this wateriness to the support, and that there's reasons that can't be changed, like the platform and like the party. They're not going anywhere. They're still not going to be offering any alternative to Trump. But there's the ones around Trump, or the ones around Biden specifically, that can be allayed. Because way more people are going to be watching these debates than any of the stuff that comes after any, any, any uh, press conferences or, or public statements or rallies. I, has, has it been confirmed that they're going to be in the same room? Because I haven't been paying attention. And my big worry is that it's going to be some Zoom bullshit. 
Yes, they're going to be in the same room. Okay, that just upped the percentage possibility that this thing is really good. That just, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic knowing that they're going to be in the same room. That's exciting. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. Happy birthday to me, maybe. Don't want to get my expectations up, but the thing that really was just killing me was the thought of just a couple of fucking Zoom heads waiting for, like, audio delay or something. Awful. And I really do hope there's a drug test, although, of course, they're not going to agree to do that. It's funny, like, Hillary, uh, Elizabeth Warren kind of proved to everybody, do not take Trump's bait ever. And her, her taking the DNA test was idiotic. But at the same time, God, wouldn't you love to see Biden say, hell yeah, I'll take a piss test. Fuck you. It is Chad versus Chad, because whatever you want to say about Biden, he is, in a certain sense, Chadish. In the same way Trump is. You know, they're both these glorious, senile, decrepit monuments. And they have the similar charisma because of that. I'm not saying it's going to make Biden win. I'm going to say it's more likely that sparks will fly, that it'll be entertaining. Like I told you, I don't fucking know who's going to win. And I'm saying Biden could do well or poorly and have it affect the outcome. But my only real interest is the entertainment of the thing. And them in the same room is more entertaining than them in different rooms. Who is the most cringe European monarch? How do you go with anyone other than Carlos the Bewitched of Spain? The guy who was so inbred that he couldn't chew his food because his jaw was too narrow. And he was impotent and had like the IQ of a dormouse. They said his heart was the size of a walnut when they, did a, they, they uh, autopsied him at like, at like 32 when he died. He had just like this high, squealy voice. You get very agitated. Just the perfect final outcome of, a, of, of, the, of the, the, the finest lines of European royalty maintaining their purity. Uh, Charles... Charles XII of Sweden, the guy who uh, would not take no, uh, no for an answer against Russia and just kept fighting until he just got, he just ruined Sweden's uh, position as like a Baltic hegemon. I, I haven't studied the Thirty Years' War. I read, I've read a few books about it. Uh, I can highly recommend C.V. Wedgwood's book, which is, was written in the 30s and has a great, great style. It's a good one volume. I think the funniest European accent is Dutch because you've got that, that like shh in there. Although the Castilian uh, lisp is also very funny. Like an entire language that has a lisp. 
Swedish accents are very funny, especially if you grew up with uh, Swedish chef as a, as, a, as a key influence. What I like to get at the ice cream truck is just the old-fashioned uh, uh, ice cream with the on a stick with vanilla ice cream on a stick with the with the chocolate shell. What do you call that? That's the, my thing. Maybe a fudgicle. A dilly bar, that's only a Dairy Queen, I think. Although I do like dilly bars. Someone's asked FDR assassination theories. I, are, are you referring to the, uh, to the shooting, the attempted assassination of, presumably of Roosevelt that happened in Miami before his inauguration when uh, uh, Giuseppe Zangara fired on his presidential uh, car and succeeded in killing Anton Cermak, the mayor of Chicago. Because I think there is, a, uh, there is a theory that rather than it being a failed assassination of FDR, that it was an intentional assassination of Cermak under the cover of an assassination of FDR because Cermak had, uh, ris had uh, uh, provoked the ire of the Chicago Mafia. That's the only FDR-related conspiracy theory I'm aware of. If there's any others, let me know. Favorite FDR portrayal in film. There aren't any really iconic ones, are there? Like what? What? Like John Lithgow played him in that uh, really cheesy TV movie series from the early '90s. I remember seeing as a kid. It was Lithgow as FDR. It was Michael Caine as Stalin, which was the best part, and Bob Hoskins as Churchill, which was fine. But fucking Michael Caine as Stalin was so good. Da, I am Stalin. Oi, oi, oh bloody Stalin, mate. Mike, I'm stolen. Uh, I did like Edward Herman in Annie. That might be my favorite one. Oi, I'm stolen. All right, I'm going to ask one question. John Voight in uh, Pearl Harbor. Oh, man. Terrible. I do love that the, he stands up he's, he, to give a address, not to the, the, like the people, but to the guys in the room, his cabinet. Gets up just to be like, we're going to kick the shit out of these Japanese. It's really funny. I don't know if FDR is a good subject for a movie because he is, he is so... 
uh, inaccessible. Like he was not a personality who like he was not a president who like wore his uh, he didn't wear his his complexes on his sleeve like a guy like Nixon or LBJ did. He was very cool. He was very reserved. Nobody ever really knew what he was thinking. And although people say things about dumb guys like Trump and and uh, Bush that they agreed with the last person they talked to, FDR was the opposite. Everybody left a meeting with FDR thinking that he agreed with them because he always kept his cards completely close to the vest. So that makes him a, an, uh, an inscrutable uh, protagonist. Eleanor Roosevelt more interesting than, uh, from a narrative perspective than FDR, certainly. Oh, MacArthur. I'll end on this. Someone asked about the notion of uh, MacArthur as America's Caesar. It's so funny and such a perfect example of how like, we are, as every way, is always seeking to create these pathetic uh, uh, cookie-cutter, like, uh, poor facsimile copies of Roman archetypes in America. Like, MacArthur was an was a absolute uh, a prissy little bitch. How about that? He did not have anything like the, uh, the, the acumen, will, intelligence, character even of a, of, a, of a Caesar or a Napoleon. If he's anybody, he's uh, Charles Boulanger, the guy who briefly threatened to pull off a sort of Bonapartist, Bonapartist outsider uh, coup on, I think, the Second French Republic before he lost his nerve, fled France, and killed himself at the grave of his mistress in Belgium. All right, guys, I'm going to sign off. Hope everybody's excited. I'm going to go take, I'm going to take a lot of nutrients and I'm going to say my prayers and eat my vitamins because tomorrow's going to be uh, either the worst birthday present I ever got because at this point, any chance for transcendent comedy that it doesn't manifest is, is one less we're ever going to see because... It just seems like we're getting to the point where nothing can be funny because the, 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 the gap between exaggeration and reality is non-existent. Uh, so I will be mourning it if it's not fun. But if it is, if it's a good one, it'll be my best birthday present ever. All right. Bye-bye.